welcome to the Spirit of West Texas podcast, where we are having real conversations with people who live and work in West Texas. Our guests this season will tell us about their big dreams. They'll share about their challenges and successes that they've had along their journey. Listen in and we hope you'll learn something and maybe even have some fun with us along the way. Amy, uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I guess it's another afternoon podcast it for is. us. I like afternoon podcasts. Yeah, afternoons are, are nice. Yeah. It's kind of nice in, in here in afternoons. I agree. We talk about this quite a bit. We've had an incredible season two. Uh, this is got to be one of the top of my list um, for this season. Uh, our guest today yes, is, I agree. is something else. I know. When we were talking and planning, she was like at the top of the list in terms of, of people and, and dreams. Yeah. And so I'm excited, Jared, to introduce Dr. Amy Thompson. She is the CEO of Covenant Children's Hospital, the only freestanding licensed children's hospital in West Texas and Eastern New Mexico. That's kind of a mouthful. That is a mouthful. <laughs> she cares deeply for the children and families in West Texas. And if I could describe Amy in one word, it would be visionary. Her big dreams for changing the way Covenant cares for our children include improved access to health care, an intense focus on pediatric relational health, and a school for chronically ill children to receive comprehensive educational support and enrichment while undergoing treatment at Covenant Children's. Amy is a graduate of Texas Tech University, as well as Texas Tech Health Sciences Center, making her a Red Raider fan through and through. These days when she's not working, she can be found at the baseball park watching either of her two sons, Roman and JJ, playing baseball, a sport the entire Thompson family enjoys. And the thing I love most about Amy, honestly, is that for someone who is so brilliant, she is just so totally normal. She's down to earth and kind and funny, and I know our listeners will enjoy hearing about her big dreams for improving the way we care for children in our community. That's awesome. I love having these conversations, and I think that Amy will be one of the best people to talk to about yes. some of this stuff. So yes. I'm, I'm ready to jump in. You want to jump in? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Welcome to the podcast studio, Dr. Amy Thompson. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm that, glad was, you're that, was here. A, that was quite an intro. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. I know. Um, so Amy went to San Francisco, Jared, for the Duke versus Texas Tech Sweet 16 game last month. Yeah. So you've been a huge Duke fan your entire life, but you're a Texas Tech alum. Yes, so ma'am. tell us the truth. Deep down, who did you really want to win? Man, people have asked me this question and it's hilarious <laughs> to me because, um, you know, I was a, I'm a fake Duke fan, you know, I would never went there or anything, but, um, my father was sports crazed. I'm only child. Um, and so who I loved uh, originally for all you older folks out there is Johnny Dawkins. So fell in love with Johnny Dawkins and the, the Duke blue devils, but 100% I'm, I'm Texas tech. So awesome. I even wore, I didn't even, I have some Duke socks and, um, <laughs> and I contemplated, well, I even wear the Duke socks. And the answer is negative. No, so, Duke socks. No, no, I was all in. Well, I was thinking, I was like, I didn't actually see any like photo proof of her and what she had on that day. So I don't know who she actually supported. So anyhow, so tell us, Amy, a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? where did you grow up? Absolutely. So I was born in West Texas. I'm a West Texas girl, um, born in Dumas, Texas. Uh, my parents are from Hereford and Fariona. And the actual truth is they, where they met in the fourth grade is in the town that's in between Hereford and Fariona called Summerfield. So hmm. 
we are West Texas um, through and through, but my dad's job um, took us several different places. So I grew up until I was in seventh grade in Plainview. Um, and I always say never made bulldog was only a bull pup, but, um, <laughs> but we moved, uh, we moved after that. And we lived in Colorado um, for a bit. And then I actually graduated from high school at Safair in Houston, Texas. So then came back to Lubbock mm-hmm. when you were for school. Is that yeah, right? Okay. We did for med school. Awesome. And so did you, what kind of a kid were you? I'm just curious as an only child. You know, what's funny is, um, I certainly am, am fine with time by myself, which people who know me will laugh about because I talk all the time. (laughs) And so, um, I I laugh that my dad, uh, when I was, when I was growing up would sometimes when I was driving in the truck would ask me if I was afraid of the silence. And so, (laughs) um, because I, I talked all the time, but, um, I love sports. And so I was a big basketball enthusiast. And so what's funny is I grew up thinking I was going to be a basketball coach. And so my, always my two career options were I'm going to be a basketball coach or I'm going to be a doctor. Like this was, and I was pretty undecided, um, on, on which of those I wanted to do. So huge basketball fan, love sports, um, was a great only child for my father who was way into sports. So, so you always knew that you wanted to be a physician, even from a young age, like about what time did you start thinking, Hey, maybe I'll, maybe I could be a doctor. I always thought about it. And people always ask you like, you know, a lot of times when it's, you know, young like that, or were your parents physicians? Um, yes. and I did not have anybody in my family that was a physician, but, um, I always joke. I just, I just always was interested in it. I did always love science. So okay. science was my thing. So if you ask my daughter right now, she would tell you that she would want to be a doctor. And I will say she's played doctor, like Dr. Co, you know, career day. She mm-hmm. always dressed up as that, but it's not changed as she's yeah. gotten older. So we'll, we'll yeah. see what happens. I don't know. I think it's something that you kind of know in your core that you want to serve yeah, for sure. other people and help other people. So what led you to specialize in pediatrics specifically? You know, what's funny is um, when I came to med school, I had, I thought I wanted to do family practice. And so that was kind of, and what's funny is I don't have any doctors in my family. So I didn't know you know, anything other than, yeah, that sounds fun. Cause you can do everything. And I was a med student too. Every rotation, I would be like, this is what I want to do. Like I loved, I loved it all. And so, <laughs> um, now, I mean, I loved it all. Um, but the truth is, is, so when I finished my third year, my husband kept saying, which is the one rotation that if you had to go do it again, you would go back and do, and it was pediatrics. Okay. So I love kids. I, I love their honesty. Um, even when they're super sick, they are funny and just, I, I love, I love kids. I always joke. Um, I mainly, you know, put up with their parents. Just kidding. Adults. <laughs> but the truth is, is like the kids who are, I love kids. So as CEO of Covenant Children's, you're, you're clearly in a predominantly administrative role. So do you still see patients? I do. Um, and you know, I'll tell you, that's a conscious decision for me that the first thing is I did not plan to be an administrator. There was no part of me that thought I wanted to grow up to be the CEO of a hospital. Um, and even when I was in training, my, my goal was to start, you know, we started the pediatric hospitalist program here, Dr. Laura Johnson, who was my mentor. Um, and we were the first two PD hospitalists in, in Lubbock and I never saw myself doing anything different. So it's kind of an accidental, um, administrator with that. So how did that happen? Like, what did you, I mean, what led you to, to want to switch? So what's interesting is, um, I mean, I love the bedside and this even gets into, you know, the thing that is my big dream. Um, I loved the bedside. I love patient care. Um, I still love to do that. It's still the thing that's the most rewarding to me is to be able to walk into a room, see a patient, be able to figure out what's wrong with them, develop a you know report. And what I will tell you is the vast majority of kids that you see 
as a, as a doctor, I only take care of sick kids in the hospital. The vast majority of them get better and, you know, they go home and I love that aspect of it, but there was something deeper in me that really like at that bedside is when I kept hearing the stories about how hard it was on families when we didn't have those services in Lubbock. I'm from West Texas, so I understand people can make things work if they can come to Lubbock. But when you start having to go to Dallas and Fort Worth and Houston, how hard this was on families. And so the the short version is I really started to change that focus into, you know, what is something that I could do that's not just one kid at a time, but how could we look at this, you know, larger? So I actually got asked, let me think what year, 2013 to become the chief medical officer at the Children's Hospital. And that was actually a big decision for me to make the, you know, make the decision to step out of 100% clinical time and really kind of was like, well, I'll give it a shot and, and see what happens. Um, I went to work for a gentleman that I respected tremendously, and he was absolutely the reason that I chose to do this um, administrative side. And then he got very sick. And so I, I will literally tell you that the way that I became the CEO was not in any plan, but because when he got sick, they asked me to, to step forward. And so I agreed initially that I would do it for a year <laughs> that I said that was in 2015, um, <laughs> if you're counting. Yeah. Um, and so, but then what I really started to see was the opportunity that we would have to you know, make a bigger difference. But I still choose to practice because I think it keeps me connected with what is still happening at mm-hmm. the patient bedside. So Covenant is the lar- well, Covenant Children's is the largest licensed freestanding children's hospital in Lubbock and the surrounding communities. For our listeners, what does that mean? Tell them what that means. You know, um, I, and I have to say this, this for me was even, you know, something that I had to learn later because I did all my training, you know, here in Lubbock. And so I never really did training at a big children's hospital. But when I started seeing all the different things that we did not have in Lubbock and started traveling, um, I'm, we're at Covenant, we're members of the Children's Hospital Association of Texas. And there's eight children's hospitals that are licensed as children's hospitals in the state of Texas. And just in my travels and understanding what they did, I started to see the scope of what a freestanding children's hospital could mean to a community. And really what that involves is just the depth of the pediatric subspecialist that you can bring in and the kind of specialized care that you can get for kids. And so seeing that in these other communities, that's really what started the dream that we should, we should do this in West Texas. And I always say, you know, Lubbock is going to be a unique place. Um, All these other children's hospitals are in these very large metropolitan areas, you know, Dallas, Fort Worth and Houston. But the thing that we have that if you're from here, you know, is even though Lubbock is not that big, our surrounding area is that big. And so when you think about trying to make better care, that's why we have to say that we're not just here for the care of kids in Lubbock. We certainly are here for the care of kids in Lubbock. It's just that we have this larger region that we have to ensure can get that kind of care in our area. So it's going to look different than some of those bigger children's hospitals, but that focus that's just on kids and bringing in the subspecialists that those kids need, like that's, that's where it's at. And, and that's where we can really change the level of care um, for the kids that we have here in West Texas. So when Jared, when I said in the intro that Amy's passionate about her work and caring for kids, like I wasn't kidding, which you can see that now listening to her. Um, so Covenant Children's just released its first pediatric helicopter kite flight is what it's called hmm. in March. So this is a helicopter entirely equipped for transporting pediatric patients. So that's pretty cool, right? Well, that's really cool. So at our baseball game this past Saturday, 
We're all sitting in the stands watching this game. I don't remember. Maybe it was going well. Maybe it wasn't. And all of a sudden we can hear this helicopter flying overhead. (laughs) So Amy jumps out of the stands and looks up and is like, that's us. That's our helicopter. And we're all like looking and stuff. And she's just so excited and so proud. I mean, even her husband, who's like on the field coaching, she's like, that's our helicopter, like <laughs> wanting to make sure he knew. So she just gets so excited about bringing these things to Lubbock, sure. you know, because she's seen when she's looked at these other hospitals, how important it is for our community to have them. So anyone that knows you knows that you care very de- deeply for children and families in this community. So I'm just curious, like what, what keeps you up at night? What do you, what keeps you up? You know, the, um, I mean, you, you mentioned the helicopter and, and I will tell you that, um, I mean, it's cool and it's real pretty, which is really fun. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, I always go back to, I'm two things at, at my heart. I'm a, I'm a scientist, you know, um, and I'm a, I'm a physician. And so I come at everything initially from this, from this prospect of like, what's going to improve the outcomes, you know, that we see, what's going to improve the care for kids. And so like, even in talking about something like the helicopter, like, why do we need a helicopter in Lubbock, Texas? Well, it goes back to the thing that we just said, we serve this really large geographic area and us being able to have the helicopter at Covenant Children's makes us be able to get to those kids faster and like a 20 minute to 30 minute difference um, in getting to those kids and being able to get them back to the ICU care that they need, like makes a huge difference in the outcomes of, of those kids. And so the stuff that keeps me up is the services that we're not able to provide. Um, I talked about, you know, when I still practice, it keeps me grounded. Um, I, I had, this was, this was actually before the, um, the pandemic. Um, I feel like two years have passed by the way, like what happened? Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh my gosh. All of a sudden it's been like, I'm like, is it 2022? Yeah, I know. Um, but so it was before the pandemic, but I had gone in to see a patient and the short version is we did not have the subspecialist that this family needed. And And that's the part that like the stuff that keeps me up are those conversations, tearful mom. And she said, I don't know how we're going to make this work, you know, and I'm sure the the physicians are fantastic in Dallas Fort Worth area. Like, I don't know how we're going to make this work. And she said, you know, sitting there at the bedside, she was like, I really need you to make this happen in Lubbock, Texas. And like, that's the stuff that the reason I always say that I'm still at the bedside is because. I don't want to lose sight of that conversation Mm -hmm. as a physician, because then when I go back on Monday, that really helps me be more like, okay, we have to figure out a way to get this, you know, these services in Lubbock, Texas. And if we don't have them, and if it's not reasonable, you know, for us to have enough cases to do it, then we need to partner with someone who can help, you know, bring those services. We've just got to make it. And then I'm going to add a second one just because, you know, I can, I guess. (laughs) You can. Um, We call it relational health but mental health. And I'm, I'm going to tell you that, um, if there's any one thing that I think needs, um, more attention than anything in, in children, it's, it's this area. Um, my, my dear friend, um, Sarah Wakefield, who Dr. Sarah Wakefield, who is at Texas tech, um, university, she's the chairman of the department of psychiatry. She's actually the one who coined the phrase relational health. Um, and this is because we want kids to understand that this is about their relationship with themselves and others and, you know, their thoughts and, and those things, but um, on this podcast, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna call it sure. what it is: mental yeah. health, you know, behavioral health issues. And um, these issues are um, big in kids. We don't like to talk about them. 
Um, I think kids are nervous, you know, to talk about if there's a stigma um, with this and we don't have enough services. And so that's the other thing that really, you know, keeps me up at night. So we're partnering with Texas Tech to try to do some things, you know, to help that. But those are numbers um, at, just at Covenant Children's. This is not including, you know, other places in the region. Those numbers are about 2.5 times what they were before COVID. Mm-hmm. So meaning the number of kids that are showing up to the hospital. And the reason that that's a big deal is because like kids who show up to the hospital because of these things, like they are suicidal yeah. or they have it's taken, too late. yeah, mm-hmm. they have taken drugs, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, different substances, um, you know, because they were depressed and, you know, suicidal, you know, attempts and things like this. And so if you can fathom, you know, the number of kids who do that, then you can back yourself into, this is the number of kids that we have that are struggling with that. If my numbers just in the hospital have gone up, mm-hmm. you know, by that much. And so, um, I, this idea, I, I've heard this phrase, so I don't know who has coined this phrase, but when they say mental health is health, like that's the thing that, that I'm passionate about is yeah. mental health is not this thing that's over there in the corner, you know, by itself, like it plays into the total health of, um, your child and you, by the way, if you're listening to this and, um, adults, I would say that that's my biggest concern for adults as well. What can we do as parents and community leaders in, you know, to address this, to help address this need in our community? I I would say that, you know, first let's talk about your house is you're the parent. (laughs) And so just don't be afraid to talk about it. And, um, we, I I was talking earlier, we raised my husband's, um, brother and he actually came to live with us, um, um, after there was a suicide in their family. And so I was too young to understand <laughs> what to do and sure. you know how to do that. And so we joke about it that we, we called it like awkward moments with Amy because <laughs> 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 she might as well just make it funny, you know, and I would walk into his bedroom and be like, okay, you know, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to talk about all the awkward stuff. This will be awesome. Um, and, and so the first thing that I would say is just like, as the parent, you just have to learn how to have the conversations and you've got to make it where, they understand that, that you're a safe place, mm-hmm. you know, for them to, to have conversations. Um, and so in your household, I think that that's the biggest thing. We've just got to take it, you know, from um, the stigma mm-hmm. to something that we're just, you know, open to talk about. I joke about our, when we raised uh, my husband's brother, that, you know, our motto was we put the fun in dysfunctional. And, <laughs> you know, that was just, and, but my point is, I even really mean that. Like we, we were guessing when we were his parents at age 23. And, but some of it, I really feel like I learned a lot because (laughs) I was so inexperienced at at being a parent that I just didn't know how else to do it other than just to ask awkward questions and be like, so how's your mental health? And, you know, (laughs) you know, um, you know, those things, but I really do. I think I learned a lot from that just in, you just got to be willing to talk about it. Like bring it out, take it out of the dark and, and bring it into the light. Yeah. But I think people are afraid to, I mean, I'll tell you, I'm a, I'm a, I had to speak at a church thing um, a few months ago and um, I was joking when you're reading my bio, like I love hearing my bio. It's so awesome. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you're and like, like, wow, no, wait. I am great. <laughs> so I, I just think that your bio always puts like your best foot forward it is does, my point. So yeah. like, it's like all the, you know, all your greatest hits. And so when I spoke at this church thing, the, the way that I started the conversation was I said, man, I like, I would like to reread you my bio only I'm just going to read you the true one. <laughs> and, and what I talked about there, and I think that this is important as well is, you know, I joked at, at the thing that I was like, um, I'm a woman who has suffered with depression. I have like, just not afraid to say it. Um, I have, and I was joking with him even that night that I was like, 
I lamented looking in the mirror tonight. Um, the administrator thing is stressful and I've, you know, gained some weight since, (laughs) (laughs) since I started, but I was joking that I was like, you know, I looked in the mirror and I wasn't happy with what I saw and, you know, and like this negative talk that you give yourself. And, and my point with that was, I just think we also have to be that honest with, with our kids yeah, with our and kids, ourselves. and like, mm-hmm. and so that people are not tempted to think when they read your bio, cause I'm sure mm-hmm. y'all's would be just as awesome, you know, cause it's all your high points is that, you know, that people that have microphones need to be able to say into them, look, man, we, we all have, you know, these things that we don't put in our bio and, um, and it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to say, you know, I've struggled with depression. I am, you know, I'm struggling. I, I, my latest one that I'm telling people. So if you're on here and this is you, you can call me later <laughs> is like, y'all, I did not think I would struggle with my son leaving. Like my oldest yeah. son has left and, and graduated and I don't even know what we're not empty nesters. Cause we still have, you know, JJ who's 13, but like y'all have mourned it. And like in a way that I just like, I didn't anticipate that. And my, my JJ at one point, um, I have to walk by Roman's room, you know, to get to JJ's room. And at one point, I think they had found me crying so many times in Roman's <laughs> stupid room that, that JJ was like, I think we should shut the door, you know? And so we, you know, we did that, but that's even what I mean. Like, I just don't know that I had heard people talk about, like, I, I was depressed like for a long time Yeah. after he left and like trying to even find my identity. What does it mean now that he has graduated? Like, yeah. you know, how does, how, how can I be a mom to him and how, you know, how has my role changed now that he's out? So I just think we have to be willing to talk with our kids and we got to be willing to talk and be honest with each other. Man, that's a great word. (laughs) That's good advice for me having two kids, especially on the verge of adolescence. So Covenant Children's is in the very early stages of a multi-million dollar capital campaign soaring to new heights to elevate the care being provided to our children in this region. So one of those initiatives, in addition to some that we've already talked about, um, is an on-campus school for chronically ill children. So that's your idea. What is it that you witnessed? What, why, do yep. you, why did you think we needed that here? Absolutely. So um, like most good ideas, I just steal them. And so exactly. I, I will actually <laughs> tell you that. Um, so we are part um, at Covenant Children's. We're part of a Providence um, Health and Services, which mainly has um, hospitals on the West Coast. So there's one other children's hospital um, that's in Providence. And so early on, um, we made a trip to Spokane and it's, it's, it was eerie, the similarities, like, you know, a ta- they were like, we're a town of about 300,000 and we have a lot of rural places and, you know, all, it's like a lot of similarities. And so we wanted to make a trip out there and we had talked about the fact that we understood that school was, was such a big thing when we have chronically ill kids. So we traveled to Spokane and they, ha- they have this school. And so like, I feel like they were taking us on a tour of their hospital and I just couldn't get out of this place and like understanding, you know, the services that they're providing for their kids. And the way to understand it is this, um, you know, uh, kids with childhood cancer. So hematology, oncology patients are a great example, but not the only example um, of this where when you have a kid who, um, you know, has a cancer diagnosis and that kid is going to undergo treatment for a year, that kid is going to miss an immense amount of school. And that is already hard on them because it pulls them out from their peer group. Um, but then usually what happens at the end of that is one of two things. They're either really behind because they haven't stayed up, you know, with their school. And by the way, this is not the school's like, I mean, that it is because we are not coordinating, coordinating that when they're in the hospital, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is not because the schools are not giving us what they need. It's because, 
you know, parents and those kids need, need some help, you know, in making sure that we're staying on top of that in, in, um, when they're in the hospital. So they either fall really behind or we pass them. So a lot of them will actually end up like failing a grade or having to stay behind, which that's not good for their peer group. Or um, they get passed on because they want to keep them with their peer group and then they're behind, you know, coming into the next school year. So the thing that's beautiful about this is that we have seen this work with our sister hospital and just the success that it has been. And so um, the idea is that you take a bunch of um, retired teachers or teachers who are, you know, no longer working, maybe staying at home or, you know, doing something that have some time. And that we're able to work with the schools um, because the schools are doing, you know, the part of helping get the assignments together and helping, you know, understand. But that we actually have people in the hospital who will be able to come to those rooms and keep those kids, you know, up to school. And the reason I gave like the cancer diagnosis is oftentimes those kids are well in the sense that, you know, they're not feeling sick and, you know, having, but they're having to stay in the hospital till their counts recover. And so that's you know, we're not talking about making a kid who's, you know, don't think about a kid who's, you know, super sick. And we're like, you have to do school. Um, that's not, you know, that's not, but when you have these kids, these chronically ill kids, they'll spend a long, lot of time in the hospital where they're waiting for counts to recover or waiting to finish antibiotics or, you know, these different things, but they're well. Um, and so it just keeps them on track for that. And the other thing I will tell you is even though the kids would, would disagree with me, um, not really is the kids do better because they're not just sitting in the room all day, you know? Um, and so they're, they're able to keep up with their classmates, um, in this, one of the new areas um, that we'll be building, um, in, in some of the renovations is a place where they can actually have some social time with their friends, um, that's as so well important. It just in the is. hospital. So that's, yeah. that's where it came from is we completely stole it. Um, but I love the idea that we know that it's going to work just yeah. because we've, because we've seen it. So you have a very deeply rooted Christian faith, Mm -hmm. but are also a self-professed student of science. Mm -hmm. So how have you experienced these two doctrines intersect throughout your career in healthcare? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, I am a believer. um, And so I, you know, that has been the very deepest part of me for a really long time as raised um, as a Christian, but I always say it's super important for me to say that as an adult, I really struggled with that, um, especially as I was a scientist. Um, I love science. I think, I think it's beautiful. I love it. It's so predictable. You know, you can predict things and, and they happen. But the way that I would say it is I just see um, Jesus as the author of that. Um, and, you know, the way that the universe works and the way that things fit together for me, the body is this beautiful, you know, piece of science. And, um, I just see that Jesus is the, is the author of that. And he's, you know, the scriptures say things like, um, and in him, all things hold together. And I'm like, yes, that is the chemical bonds. He's holding it together with chemical (laughs) bonds. And, um, and so, but I really mean that, like I, um, I really have a strong faith, um, in Christ um, and I do think he's the author of all science. So, so you have traveled outside the United States for a number of mission trips and trips to support your studies. So, what has experiencing other cultures taught you about um, really the value of pediatric healthcare in the U.S.? What have you brought with you back here from those trips? Absolutely, I've had a lot of um, opportunity to do that. And I'll tell you, one of my first opportunities um, actually wasn't a, a mission trip, but. Um, I actually was raised, um, my mom, my mom's maiden name is Botkin 
and was raised with stories um, of uh, the, the largest hospital in Moscow, um, Russia, is the Botkin Clinic. So I was raised with these stories of um, Botkins and, you know, their involvement in medicine. Um, so I actually um, did um, four years of Russian in college. And so I actually got to spend a semester in Moscow um, was my very first thing. And I, I would say that that's, that has been one of the most um, eye-opening. It was in 1994. So it was right after, you know, the, the fall of the USSR and, you know, these things. And, and I got to be there for a semester as a student. Um, and we traveled because I had heard these stories. Um, so I got to travel to the Botkin Clinic and we got to go inside the hospital and, you know, and, and see things. I have another trip that um, we actually went to, to China and we were trying to do some, um, some things in an orphanage. And I have this hilarious story with Carrie Kane, my girl Carrie Kane that I was there with that we drove around this entire city just trying to look for um, what we call an otoscope, which is what you look in kids' ears you know, with, and in this, in this orphanage that we were at, um, all the kids, um, like when I, when we were walking around, they all had pus rolling down their, their cheeks. And I was like, what, like you can, you can actually look in their ears and know that they have an infection, you know, like before it, before it busts. And so we were trying to find this otoscope so we could leave it with them to show them, you know, that you need this. Yeah. That this is how. And so I think that those kind of experiences, um, just help you understand what we do have. Um, I never take for granted what it is that we have in this country after traveling, you know, to so many places. We're just so blessed with the the kind of medical care and things that we do have. Um, I just think we should continue to go further. So can you still continue. speak Russian? Man, here's the truth. <laughs> Not very well. <laughs> and um, so what I can tell you is I can understand it better that like, it is hard for me to conjure up words, if that makes sense. Like, I'll be like, oh, I don't remember the word for that. Um, but I can still understand it. Okay. Like if I, if I can hear it, um, and I probably read it, um, mm. better than anything. So. Jared, ask her a question in Russian. Uh, there's no way I'm going to be able to do that. <laughs> for a split second. I thought about, uh, throwing out some random gibberish, but it wasn't worth it. So on the spirit of West Texas podcast, we're talking to people who live and work in West Texas about their big dreams. So Amy, what is your big dream? Just if you had to sum it up for addressing healthcare, the healthcare Mm -hmm. needs of children in our community. Absolutely. I I think this one's easy. I always say, um, I think God entrusts you with what he's called you to do. Um, and you know, gives you an opportunity to do it. And I just say, my biggest goal is that we take healthcare for kids from where it's at and that we really take steps forward. And what I would like to, you know, whenever the Lord is done with me, with this part of my life or calling, um, I just want to make things better than, than how we found them and provide a stepping stone so that, you know, folks who come behind me can continue to build on that. I just want kids in West Texas to have the same access to great quality healthcare um, that they could get in any big city that they would travel to. So with so much need, and I guess so much opportunity, do you ever get overwhelmed? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and there's sometimes that you can feel like, I don't feel like we've made much progress. Um, so someone taught me long ago that, you know, you need to have a book of remembrances, you know, yeah, where you can idea. remember. Um, and so what's funny is when I look back, um, you know, I can see, I can see the things that we've been able to, you know, do. And not when I say we, I mean, people in Lubbock, not just myself and, you know, and those folks. Um, so I think we have to remember where it is that we started from, but absolutely, you know, um, perseverance is, you know, there's a reason that 
in the scriptures, Jesus says, you're going to kind of need the Holy Spirit to do that. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, like you're going to need something bigger than yourself to, to just continue to push on. So how do you stay motivated and inspired? You know, I talked about it a little bit. Um, you know, the first thing that I would say is, um, I stay grounded with Christ. I mean, I will tell you that the days when I am, um, when I'm off track, um, I always say it's because I'm not rooted in, you know, what God's calling is, you know, in my life and, you know, who he's, who he's asking me to be. Um, but then the second thing that I mentioned is, um, staying at the bedside of kids. It's, it's always the thing that brings me back to, look, we just got to keep, we have fantastic physicians in Lubbock, Texas. We have fantastic care for kids. We just have to continue to move that forward and, and continue to make it better. So you lead a team of how many? Well, um, I have, I don't know, almost a thousand employees. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you keep them motivated? Especially, you know, and it's a challenging season Mm -hmm. for, for healthcare professionals. Um, how do you keep them motivated and inspired? You know, my truthful answer, because we talked about this earlier, you've got to be truthful. I'm going to tell you, these, these last two years have been the hardest years of leadership that I've ever been in. And so I think my honest answer is, I, I don't know that I've kept everybody super motivated um, in the last few years, because I feel like that we've been trying to focus so much on COVID and, you know, and getting through this stuff. And this has just been, it's been a hard time in the old United States, I'm sure worldwide, but it's been hard. Um, COVID has, has hit things really hard. Hospitals have been hit really hard, you know, with this. Um, and so, but I think that the answer is we just have to keep coming back to the vision of why we're here. And so we've even made some concerted efforts, um, with my leadership group to talk about, we've got to get back even in front of our own, you know, we call them caregivers. We say everybody that works at our hospital, we don't call them employees. We call them caregivers because we think everybody is, called there to give care. Um, but I, I say, we got to get back in front of the caregivers and we got to help them remember where it is that we're going, you know, and, and why it is, um, that it's important. I was able to speak at a nursing graduation, um, this last week. And it's one of my favorite things um, to do. I love nurses. Nurses are the ones that are actually legit at your bedside, you know, the whole time really taking care of you. Um, and, and I told them, I think that, while a lot of people are, are choosing to go into something different than healthcare, um, I'm, I was so proud of their choice to jump in that, especially when you've seen, you know, what we've seen in the last two years, like this is not the time to stop. This is not the time to shrink back. Like this is a time when we can really make a stand, you know, that we want to make healthcare better. Amy, thank you so much for being here with us today. You've been so inspiring. I know you're so busy. Um, So, so appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about your big dream on our podcast. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Amy, I don't know how we got onto Amy's schedule to even have her in the the studio this morning. Uh, She's a really great assistant that she really loves. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all were talking about her schedule and Mm -hmm. how she, I think she left here and we're, we're mid late afternoon and she already had three or four more meetings to get to today. So that's, she's a, she's a busy lady. I'm so glad that she made time to come here and and chat with us. It was a gift. They always say that it takes a special person to be in healthcare and she is one of those souls that is just made for this. And um, she's just really good at being 
there and being honest with it. You know, yes. I, I, I think there's something very honest and upfront about everything that she talked through today that was just refreshing. Yeah. Don't you get the feeling that we could really have asked her anything and she would have answered honestly? Absolutely. Um, and so I do think that's refreshing, mm-hmm. um, especially in light of some of the conversations that we had about um, mental health. Mm-hmm. I, I think those are important conversations to have. And it's very, very tough to start those conversations, but she is not shy about it in the slightest to just <laughs> to bring it up no. and just go at it. She brought up the uh, her, the conversations with her kids about yeah. the awkward moments with Amy. Yeah. And I love that. I think that um, it's all right to, to call these awkward conversations because mm-hmm. they are, they can be. And it's all right to, ha- to put that on your shoulders, the parents' shoulders to say, uh, this is not going to be an easy, easy conversation, but I'll I'll be the the, the awkward one in, in between the two of us. Put a little bit of levity to it. Right. But you want to open up those conversations. And aren't you so glad? I mean, it's a need in our community. Yep. It's a need. And it's something that, quite frankly, me as a parent of two kids, I mean, I'm constantly worried about. Sure. Um, my kids and, and, you know, social media and the pandemic, like she said, I mean, it's just taken a toll on our, our kids Absolutely. emotionally. And so um, for her and her role. Um, at Covenant to really be leaning into relational health. Mm-hmm. You know, she said it keeps her up at night, but but to really put money and emphasis toward addressing that need for our kids and our community to me is just, I'm so grateful. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for that because you never want anything like that to happen, you know, in your family. But if it did, um, it's so good to know that there, you know, will be a place that you can go and, um, sure. and get the help that you need very, very quickly. Um, I loved it when she said, um, you know, ultimately she always comes back to what's going to improve outcomes for the kids. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you think about Amy and her role and all that she has on her plate and all the decisions that she has to make and, you know, she has a thousand employees and all, <laughs> all the things that come up and that are being thrown at her, it'd be very easy for her to get distracted. Yep. And, um, you know, so for her going to the bedside, staying in front of patients, yeah. um, still seeing patients, you know, that keeps her grounded and ultimately she has to continue to come back to what's going to improve outcome for our kids. How, you know, what's going to move the needle because that's where I need to focus my attention. Yeah. I think, um, the fact that she wants to keep bedside in her umbrella of of everything that she does screams character more than anything that, 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 that we went, we talked through today, because I would imagine that is a very, very tough thing to do to be at that bedside. And she told us of some of these conversations mm-hmm. she was having with parents. That's, whew, the easy route is to work your way out of that. Right. Don't look back, take emotion out of it, and let's focus on something else. But she makes it a point to always keep that as a part of her, her routine. Yeah. When you think about, you know, we live in West Texas, we're raising families in West Texas here in Lubbock. Um, and you know, certainly the, the impact that she has ex- far-reaching beyond um, Lubbock, Texas, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, the responsibility that she has on her plate, um, and she does not take it lightly, and I'm just so thankful that we Mm -hmm. have her here. Um, She could be anywhere, you know, and she chooses to be here in West Texas and Lubbock, Texas, um, and to be using her gifts, as she put it, what God gave her to Mm -hmm. serve families and kids in West Texas. And I feel unbelievably grateful for that. Absolutely. Yeah. I just really feel grateful to be a part of this conversation and grateful that people are out there talking about these awkward moments that, that other people are going to be shying away from. You've got to have the conversations if you want to 
move in an upward and healthy direction. Um, and that's, it's, I'm glad that people are having those conversations Me and that too. Amy is, is at the forefront of that. Me too. I'm especially glad she came and talked to us on our podcast Me today. Too. I feel like maybe we should pay her. I got so many good <laughs> nuggets. <laughs> I, like, of- I know. I thought, do I need to lay on the couch and like let, <laughs> let her just talk? Cause I feel like you can take so much from her personally and um, yeah. from me as a parent. So um, if you're interested in learning more about um, Covenant Children's or the Capital Campaign, we talked about it for just a second. Um, you can find more information at, on their website at give.covenanthealth.org. Fantastic. Another great episode Another for season great two. Episode. If you haven't subscribed to the Spirit of West Texas podcast, speaking of of websites. What are you doing? Uh, it's just a simple click. We've <laughs> right. mentioned it before. We sure hope you would subscribe. <laughs> Plus, it boosts our ego a little bit, doesn't it? Let's put some smiles on Amy's and, and Jared's, Jared's face. Today. <laughs> well, thank y'all so much for listening. Thanks for listening. Until next time.